Let's pray together. Teach us, Lord, to number our days on earth. Before our hearts forget all your goodness, before our hearts give up, Spirit, fill us. Holy Spirit, satisfy us with your love. Father, fill us, fill the emptiness that we have with the love of God, the agape love of God. For the love of Christ is the only love, is the only power that can set us free from the bondage of sin, from this life of oppression. For we live in this flesh, and we will not be perfect. But Lord, perfection is not about not making mistakes, but it's about maturity, pursuing you every single day to be transformed by you. Let us praise you today with all of our hearts, with everything that we have within us to worship you today. Lord, we cast aside every distraction at this time. We ask God for the touch of God, the touch that will change and transform the life. 180, God, I pray, God, you transform us today. Let us not rely on yesterday's blessings. Let us not rely on yesterday's grace. For today is a new day you have given us to worship you in spirit and in truth. So God, we submit our hearts to you, God, at this time. Praise be to the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war, my fingers for battle. Blessed is the people of whom this is true. Blessed is the people whose God is the Lord. Father, as you transition now to the message, I pray that the words of my mouth and God, for all those who are listening for the meditation of our hearts, oh God, that will be pleasing in your sight, oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Father, come speak to us, for we are hungry and desperate for a fresh new touch today. Come have your way within us. Lord, we give you all authority and power and permission, and we surrender everything we have at your feet, O oh God. For you are a God who is gentle. You are not a God who overbears. But Lord, you expect us and you want us to submit and to enter your presence with humility. So God, we enter your presence with humility right now. All the sins, all the mistakes we made, God, we ask for the blood of Christ that covers all wrong, all sin, to wash us and to make us white as snow today. We love you, Lord. We thank you. We pray all these things in your precious Son, Jesus Christ, and I pray. And God's people pray. Amen and amen. We are finally finished with uh, the three friends of Job's friends, but we are still in the series of our Job series, and we're going to kind of go in a different direction today. And I want to speak to you uh, more from my heart, and I would like for us to really come back to a place where uh, it's not just about learning and having knowledge, but it's about the Spirit of God touching us and God transforming us today. So we're now at Job series part 11. And the title today is called, Where's Jesus? Can we turn to our neighbor and say, Where's? Waldo. Just kidding. No, Ronnie. Jesus. Where's Jesus? Can we turn to our neighbor and, and say, Where's Jesus? Well, how can we find Jesus in the book of Job? Now, as Christians, 
how should we read the book of Job? Job is obviously found in the Old Testament. Old Testament, New Testament is different. Old Testament doesn't mention the Messiah, not specifically. It gives a prophecy of the Messiah to come. But we Christians, we have the Old Testament and the New Testament. So as Christians, how should we read the book of Job? What is the right way to read the book of Job? I'm going to ask again. What is the right way to read the book of Job? And second, how is the book of Job closely intertwined with Jesus Christ? How can we make that connection today? Whenever we read the Bible, you must ask, where is Jesus? Especially, particularly when you're reading the Old Testament. Or when you're, when you're reading the letters of Apostle Paul, Peter, James, you got to ask the question, where's Jesus? And in every passage, in every verse, in the context of the chapter or what's happening within that story, before Jesus was even born, he was always there from the beginning. And Jesus can be found in every passage of the Bible. So let's all go and turn to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, it says this, starting from verse 1 to 5, and then I'm going to go ahead and read from 14 to 15. But starting from John 1, it says this, the title says, The Word Became Flesh. Starting with this, verse 1, it says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the word was God. He is talking about Jesus. Verse 2, he was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. But if you look at Genesis, wait, Jesus is not in the first chapter of Genesis. But it says right here that through him, all things were made. That when God spoke the earth into creation, when he brought Adam and Eve to life, Jesus, the Trinity, the Spirit of God, the Holy Trinity, they were there from the beginning. It says in verse 3, through him all things were made. Without him, meaning without Jesus Christ, nothing was made that has been made. Verse 4, in him, in Jesus Christ, was life, and that life was the light of all mankind, all of humanity, past, present, and future. Verse 5, the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. And who is that light? That light is Jesus Christ. Let's skip over and go to verse 14 through 15. It says this. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. It's talking about the incarnation of Jesus Christ. When God himself, Lord himself in humility, became and born as an infant, came to this world many years ago. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 15, John, this is talking about a different John, not the writer John, John the Baptist, talking about John the Baptist. John testified concerning Him. He cried out saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me. Because he was before me. Can we read that line together? Ready? One, two, three. Start with he. Ready? One, two, three. He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Now, how does this make any sense? If you guys know the gospel, 
We know that John the Baptist is the older brother of Jesus, right? He was born six months. He's six months older. So he was the young of Jesus. Jesus was his, like, little cousin. But how can you say, how can John say, he who comes after me, yes, that's true. In the flesh, he came after me. I was born first. It's like Andy saying, Ronnie, call me young because I'm older than you. You came after me. That's true. But how can he say he has surpassed me? Because he was before me. How can Jesus come before him when Jesus was born after John? When John is older than Jesus? Because it's going back to the beginning of creation. That Jesus is God. That he was always there from the beginning. That's why when we read the Old Testament, that's when we read the book of Job, we can find Jesus because Jesus is always there. Jesus is found in all throughout the scripture because he was there from the beginning of creation. You know that John's parents, Zechariah and Elizabeth, they're old in age. She was barren. She couldn't give birth. But God gives a miracle. John the Baptist is born first. John, he's baptizing everyone with water. And Jesus comes later. He gets baptized before he starts his ministry at the age of 30. He goes, he gets baptized, and the, and the Spirit of God comes and empowers him. That's the John I'm talking about. So we understand that the Word became flesh. And that flesh, that individual, is talking about Jesus Christ. So with that, I have three points. And before we begin our point, I would like you to add this. Through Jesus Christ, I have. Through Jesus Christ, comma, I have. You could do dot, 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 whatever you like. Through Jesus Christ, I have. And number one is this, a mediator. Can we turn to our neighbor and say a mediator? Let's go to Job 9, verse 32 to 35. And at each point, I'm going to talk about a question that Job asks and how Christ comes and he fulfills that question with an answer. Okay, so now Job 9, verse 32 to 35. He says this, He is not a mere mortal like me that I might answer him, that we might confront each other in court. If only there were someone to mediate between us, someone to bring us together, someone to remove God's rod from me so that his terror would frighten me no more. Then I would speak up without fear of him. Now as it now stands with me, I cannot. Focusing on verse 33 to 34, I'm going to read it one more time. If only there was someone to mediate between us, someone to bring us together, someone to remove God's wrath from me so that his terror would frighten me no more. And Job, he ends with 35. He says, but as it now stands with me, I cannot. He's saying there's a huge gap between me and God. I wish there was someone to come between us. It's like when your parents are fighting, you go in between, you mediate between the two parties. And you try to bring peace. You try to bring them together. When your friends are arguing, you mediate so that, so that the, the situation doesn't escalate. It doesn't go south. If only there were someone to mediate between us. And Job ends with, as it now stands with me, I cannot. But as we're here sitting here today, as we're listening to this message, as Christians we do, 
You do have a mediator. Yes, if you stand before God right now, if I were to die today and I were to see God face to face on judgment day, I would be doomed for all of eternity. For we are all sinners and we fall, all fall short, the Bible says, of the glory of God, that no one is innocent, that no one is pure, that we've all broken the commandments. But if we die today, praise to God for his son, Jesus Christ, who came between us to mediate between us so that I can have life. The fact that we're here today, sitting here at church, is all because of Christ. That's it. Without Jesus Christ, there is no hope. We are hopeless to the end. Without Christ as our mediator, we are forever doomed for all of eternity. Take a look at 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5 to 6. It says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind. Between God and me, there's only one mediator, the man, Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus. Verse 6, who gave himself as a ransom, not for some, but for all people, and who are all, all who are willing to admit and submit and repent and believe that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior, who are willing to humble themselves and admit that they are in need of a Savior, that they cannot save themselves, that he came as a ransom, for all people, for all people. If you watch that movie, Man on Fire, with Denzel Washington, there's a beautiful scene where he, he comes and he, 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 he makes a decision to become a ransom for this little girl. And he decides to give his life for this little girl. And life for a life, he switches his life for her. And he switches his life so that this little girl can live. And that's what Christ did for us. He gave himself as a ransom for you, for me, so that I can have life and life to the full. Just to emphasize this, emphasize this more and more and more and to, to nail the ha- with the hammer more and more, I would, like to, I, would, I would like for us to go to Hebrews chapter 7, verse 22 to 28, and I would like for us as a church to read it together with loud voices. Let's read it together in unity. Ready? One, two, three. Because... go over he always intercedes for them it's talking about Christ in verse 25 and we needed a, high, a true high priest who was holy 
verse 26, holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. If you understand the tabernacle, the system in the Old Testament, there was one high priest who can go into the tent of holy of holies, the holy place, once a year to, to make an atonement for the sins of all the Israelites. And he had to be set apart. But now we're, we no longer have that tradition. We have Jesus Christ who is the high priest forever. And he intercedes on our behalf. He is our mediator. Hebrews 7 tells us. So the Bible, especially in the book of Romans, Romans 5, Romans chapter 8, it talks about how that at just the right time, that when we were still powerless, that Christ died for us. He died for the ungodly. It talks about in Romans 5 that very rarely will anyone die for a righteous, will die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But it says God demonstrates his, his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, he died for us. So that we will not have to face the wrath of God, God's wrath. But the wrath of God went through Jesus Christ, through the cross, through the crucifixion of the cross. He died for us. He went through the pain and the suffering for us on Good Friday. So that we can have life and life to the full. That while we were still sinners, that Christ died for me, for us. And then Romans 5, it goes on and says, Though death came through one man, which is Adam, but it says life. Life came through one man, and his name is Jesus Christ. And praise to God that he is my mediator today. Where would I be if it wasn't for him? Where would any one of us be in this season and in this place? There's a vast difference between Adam and Jesus Christ. Adam, when he sinned, he hid. He thought he could trick God. He thought God did in the war, you Adam. And he blamed Eve. But what did Jesus do on the Garden of Gethsemane? He went on his knees and prayed. He didn't run away from his destiny. He went and he faced death face to face. And I'm not just talking about death, dying peacefully in a bed. Excruciating pain. That is unjust. That is wrong. He was innocent, like an innocent lamb going to be slaughtered. He went and he died and he faced death face to face. And he is our mediator today. Romans 8 tells us that I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us, separate me from the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the key, in Christ Jesus. And I love that line, that we're in Christ Jesus, because without him, I have no hope today. Why would I even bother being here? For I'll be doomed for all of eternity. 1 John 2, 1 on the screen. Can we all read this together? Ready? One, two, three. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Let's read verse 2. I'm going to read. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. 
and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. The key word here, he is our advocate. He is the one that atones for our sins. Not just for me, but for the whole world. We must remember that we cannot forget that. And then now we have the Holy Spirit. He comes and he strengthens us. He encourages us. That when Jesus ascended into heaven, he said there will be, he says, I will give an advocate. Right? It says advocate to help you and be with you forever. Take a look at 1 John 2.1. We have an advocate. And then Jesus, he goes, and he talks about in John 14, he says, we have another advocate. It's not just Jesus Christ, but you have another advocate, Holy Spirit, to help you and be with you forever. And this advocate is the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him. As Christians, you know him because you have the Holy Spirit living inside you, Angela. You know him for he lives with you and will be with you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will, not co- I will come to you before long. The world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live and you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father and you are also in me, and you are in me and I am in you. He is our advocate. He is our avenger. He is our mediator. That as Christians, Jesus Christ is our mediator. Never forget that. Without him, there's absolutely no hope. Number two, through Jesus Christ, I have hope in this life and in the life after death. I'll say it again. Through Jesus Christ, I have hope in this life and in the life after death, meaning I have have hope even when I die in this one life that I live. If someone dies, Job 14, verse 14, if someone dies, Job is asking the question, will they live again? All the days of my heart service, I will wait for my renewal to come. Reading it one more time, if someone dies, will they live again? All the days of my heart service, I will wait for my renewal to come. And real quickly, I want to talk to you guys about the hope that we have in this life and in the life after death for all of eternity. As Christians, we, I know that things are not perfect in this life. We will have sicknesses. We, have, we will face death. We will go to a funeral of our family members, of our friends, of our church members. But not only do we have hope in this life, but we have hope for all of eternity. And I want to focus on John chapter 11. And this is one of my favorite, 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 favorite passages. Because it talks about a man named Lazarus. And we can all relate to him. Because one day we will face death. And we will go through hardship. And this story is just beautiful. The story of Martha, Mary, the sister, the three siblings. And how much Jesus loved these three individuals. And I want to go ahead and read the story together. And let's just all go ahead and read this story together. I'm going to read. Just follow with me. But let's pay attention and let's understand the details that's found in John 11. Again, the point is what? We have hope in this life and in the life after death. 
So with that, let's go ahead and read verse 1. The title says, The Death of Lazarus. Again, Lazarus is the youngest of the siblings. Verse 1. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, The sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. Verse 8, but Rabbi, they said, a short while ago the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you are going back? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they will see, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. Jesus is saying, you walk with the world? Yes. You you should be scared. But I am the light. You're walking with me. You have nothing to fear. Verse 11, after he has said this, he went on to tell them, our friend. It's not just my friend, our friend. Remember, we're a community. We're in it together. Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. Verse 12, his disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better than understanding. Oh, let him take a nap. I'll need to take a nap. It's fine. She'll get better. Verse 13, Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. The disciples are not very bright. Verse 14, so then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of his disciples, and I like Thomas here, right? Thomas gets a bad rap because he's the one that doubted Jesus. He's known as a doubting Thomas. Imagine your nickname, right? Angela was doubting Angela. Like, that's not really cool, right? I want to be the faithful Angela or something, right? But he's known as doubting Thomas. But here, he's really cool and much so here. What does he say? Let us also go that we may die with him. Meaning he's saying, with you, Jesus Christ, I will go anywhere with you. No matter where you go, even in death, I'll be with you. I'll be loyal to you. I'll be willing to die with Christ. If our brother, if one of my friends is hurting, he's showing true loyalty. He's saying, yes, I will go there as well. And we know the end of Thomas. He dies in India as a martyr. But anyways, he says, let us also go that we may die with him. So Jesus gets there in verse 17, and the title says, Jesus comforts his, the sisters of Lazarus. Verse 17, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. That's important, four days. Verse 18, now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, 
And many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. A lot of people, uh, the characters who have bad reputation are being, um, they have a second chance here. You really see their faith. I mean, Martha, again, she's the one that complained about the sister. Why is she not here? But she gets a bad rap too, but she looks really cool here. Right? She's a woman of faith. She's believing. And then let's continue verse 28. After she has said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, notice how quickly she got up and went out. They followed her. So just imagine a crowd following Mary, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And this is that famous line. Right, in verse 35, Jesus wept, right? This is where it's found. Jesus wept. Isaiah 53, verse 3, it gives a similar picture that Jesus, he was despised and he was a man of suffering. Right? He was a man of sorrow, it tells us. And this is what he's talking about. Jesus wept. He was a man of sorrow. He's, he wept here, not just over the death of Lazarus, because Jesus knew he was going to raise him up back again. But Jesus is weeping here because his heart is broken for the brokenness and the sin of this world, for this fallen world. He is weeping because of his grief for this fallen world. That's why it says Jesus wept. Verse 36, Then the Jews said, See how he loved them. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Let's go to verse 38. The title says, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. And the story is ending. So st stay with me. Verse 38, Jesus, once more, Jesus once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is bad order, for he has been there Four days. It's emphasizing that it's been four days. It's mentioned twice. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, 
I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Jesus supernaturally knew of Lazarus' condition, that he was dying or he is dead already. It says, going back to verse 4, this sickness is not, will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory that God's Son may be glorified through it. It emphasized four days because it's highlighting the fact that the body will be in a state of decaying, of decomposition. It's rotting. It is beyond repair. A lot of times when we feel lost and we are lost in this life, we feel that I am beyond repair of God. That God is so far away that I am in this place of darkness that there is no light at the end of the tunnel. There is no light even on the side. You feel like life is, is finished and this is it. Four days represents beyond repair, beyond restoration. Lazarus was gone. There was no hope for him. Four days, imagine the smell. The body is decaying. This man is dead. There's no turning back. MacArthur commentary says this. No resurrection or eternal life exists outside of the Son of God. Time, in quote-unquote, at the last day, is no barrier to the one who has the power of resurrection and life. He's saying in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. Remember John 1-4 that we read earlier. For he can give life at any time. Ladies and gentlemen, if you have breath right now, no matter how hopeless or lost you may feel, Remember that Jesus can give life any moment right now. He can give us life so that we can live this life well. Right now. So what does this mean to us as Christians? What does this mean to me? How does the story in John 11, how does the story of Lazarus, how does it relate with me? How does it apply to my life? How does the story of Job apply to my life? Job, in a, Job is in a place of hopelessness. Lazarus is in a, in a place of hopelessness. Mary is in a place of hopelessness. Martha is in a place of hope, hopelessness. They're all in a grieving season of their life. How does this mean? How does this apply? What does this mean for us as Christians who are listening here today? That in this life, no matter how much we are rotting, how far we've gone to the point of no return. That in this life, not just in this life, but in the life after, when we face death, that we have hope. Suicides, abortions, depressions, people wanting to finish, quit. That can happen. But as Christians, we have hope right now. Just like the story of Lazarus in John 11. 
We could never get to a point where it's too late. For Jesus Christ, again, he is our mediator. He is our mediator. And we have hope in this life and in the life after death. 1 Corinthians 15, 55 to 57. Where all death is your victory? Where all death is your sting? This is Paul reading. The the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But he says, but thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Death has no power over us as Christians. No tribulation, no trials, no painful experiences in this life have power over us because we have victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you believe that? That he is your mediator no matter what. That he is our advocate. He is our avenger. John eleven twenty five. The last passage for this point. I am the resurrection and the life. Remember, he told this to who? Martha. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. I'm closing with this. Remember, through Jesus Christ, I have, and I'm ending with this last point, number three. I have a life that is always good. I have a life that is always good. Can you just whisper and repeat after me? Point number three. I have. I have. Can you repeat after me? I have a life that is always good. I say it again with confidence. Through Jesus Christ, I have a life that is always good. Just like the song that we sang in Psalm 34. Come and taste and see that the Lord is good. Because he is good, my life is good. No matter what circumstances I am facing today. It is not good because circumstances are perfect for situations will never be perfect. It may be perfect for that hour, but next day it will not. That happiness that you are feeling today from the happening will not last until tomorrow. For happiness comes and goes. Life is not good because of circumstances are perfect. But it's good because of who he is. Because God is good. Because Jesus Christ is my mediator. That means your mindset, your heart, that is what needs to change. Not your circumstances. Life may not always be fair. But in Jesus Christ, it is always good. 
I'll say it again. It will not always be fair. Oh, it will be so unfair at times. There are times when we will have sicknesses, diseases, someone that you love, that you care about, who have died an unfair death, or someone who passed away way too soon. It will seem unfair beyond my imagination, beyond my understanding. But you need to say to yourself that through Jesus Christ, I have a life that is always good. Job had the same question. It says in Job 21, verse 7 to 21, it's up on the screen. He He goes on, he says, Why do the wicked live on? growing old and in increasing power. They see their children established around them, their offspring before their eyes, their homes are safe and free from fear, the rod of God is not on them. Their bulls never fail to breed, their cows calf and do not miscarry. They send forth their children as a flock, their little ones dance about. They sing to the music of timbrel, and lyre, they make merry to the sound of the pipe. They spend their years in prosperity and go down to the grave in peace. Yet they say to God, leave us alone. We have no desire to know your ways. Yet they say to God, leave us alone. We have no desire to know your ways. Who is this Almighty that we should serve him? What will we gain by praying to him? But their prosperity is not in their own hands. So I stand aloof from the plans of the wicked. Yet how often is the lamp of the wicked snuffed out? How often does calamity come upon them? The fate God allots in his anger. How often are they like a straw before the wind, like chaff swept away by a gale? It is said God stores up the punishment of the wicked for their children. Let him repay the wicked so that they themselves will experience it. Let their own eyes see their destruction. Let them drink the cup of the wrath of the Almighty. For what do they care about about the families they leave behind when their allotted months come to an end? Pretty much Job is saying, why do evil individuals continue to live on? How can they grow old, increasing in power? How come it is God that these individuals who do not even have faith in you, that somehow they look happy? That there are no wrong things happening to them. There are no miscarriages or hardships that they're going through. Why is it that I, a man of faith, a woman of faith, that I go through such trials? Why do I go through so many hardships in this life? I'll tell you why. Because when we go through hardships, that's when you become one with God. When things are going easy, you will not need him anymore. It is when you are in the most broken place in your life. It is when you're in a place of depression. That's when you can call out to God, your mediator, your savior, your advocate, the one who fights for you, the one who intercedes for you. That's why it's to draw your heart closer to his heart. That's why the Bible tells us, Jesus teaches us over and over again. He says in Matthew 11, 28 to 30, He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. If you're going through a hard time right now, come to me and I will give you rest. 
Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What good is it for us to gain the whole world yet we forfeit our soul? What can anyone can give in exchange for their soul? Remind yourself today that for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life that whoever believes in him is talking about you. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Those are the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is no life beyond me. Do you understand that? Do you understand that, my daughter? Do you understand that, my son? At this time, with our eyes closed, reflecting upon the suffering of Job and the suffering that we read in John 11. Let us remember today that as Christians, that I have a mediator. That as Christians, that I have hope in this life and in the life after death. And that as a Christian, I have a life that is always good, not because of my circumstances, but because of who he is. He's drawing himself closer to your heart right now. He desires to draw himself close to you for he has been with you throughout this week and he is with us right now in this very moment as we speak. Holy Spirit is our advocate, is our counselor. Can we at this moment right now with our eyes closed, can we seek the face of God at this time? Can we cry out to him cry out to him today tell him God I need you more today than yesterday come to me all you who are weary and burdened and he will give you rest that is a promise that is given to us as Christian men and women of God do not lose your zeal do not lose your passion do not lose your way do not lose your faith hold on to him Hold on to him tighter today than ever before. For today is the day, the decision you will make today will be the decision that will follow for all of eternity. Hold on to him. Don't ever let him go. Let's pray together. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we need you right now. And we as a church, we cry out to you. Lord, forgive us of our sins. Forgive us, God, of our shortcomings.
shortcomings. God, I'm just putting ourselves first, putting our circumstances first, putting my emotions first. Thank you, God, that you are good, that you are always good, that there's no one that can compare to you and to who you are, oh God. Oh God, thank you, God, that your yoke is easy and that your burden is light.
only there was someone to mediate between us, someone to bring us together, someone to remove God's rod from me so that his terror would frighten me no more. Thank you for the promise that I am the way, the truth, and the life. That God, no one comes to the Father except through you, O Lord. That you intercede on our behalf. That God, that when we're weary and tired, that we can run to you. Thank you for the yoke that is attached from our neck to your neck. That God, it is no longer I who do do all the plowing and the work, but it is the Holy Spirit, it is you that will do it with me, that will strengthen me, that will lead my way. For your yoke is easy and light. Lord, let us not pursue this life, gaining the whole world, yet forfeiting our soul and forfeit our soul. Thank you for the love that we have that is found in you. The love that is found in Jesus Christ. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. The whole scripture sums, it comes down to this. To prepare the way for us so that we can be with God. Without Jesus Christ, there's no way that we can be near God. But there's too much a chasm, a gap of sin that separates us. How can we be near a holy God when I am so sinful? But it's the love of Jesus Christ. It's the death on the cross. As he went on the cross, he saw you, he saw us, he saw me. And he died on the cross for me so that I can have life to the full. So that he can go and prepare a room in heaven for us for all of eternity. Not only do I have hope in this life, but I have hope in the life after, after death to prepare a room and he will come back and bring us back so that we may also be with him. Don't forget. Don't forget why you're living. Don't forget your reason for living today. Your life does not belong to you. Your life belongs to the Father, the one who loves you, and the one who died for you. So God, with that, we come to you as a church right now and as individuals. We stand before you, O oh God, not with pride or with arrogance. For who can stand with arrogance and pride and sin? But we come to you right now on our knees with humility, humble, broken, and lost. And we look to you, God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. 
And we ask God for your forgiveness for our sins, for our shortcomings. And God, for putting my emotions first before you. For letting the circumstances dictate my faith and my worship to you. But may we come to your throne every day on our knees. Grateful and thankful. Giving you worship and praise for the life that I have today. Thank you, Lord, for your message. Thank you, God, for your spirit. Thank you, God, for who you are. We give all glory to you. The name above all names. The author and the perfecter of our faith. We praise you today. We love you. We thank you. Pray all these things. In your precious son, Jesus Christ, I pray. And God's people pray. Amen. And amen.